0: Let us remain standing as you turn in our Bibles to Psalm 4. Let us give our reverent attention to this God's Word. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David Answer me when I call. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The grass withers and flower fades, but God's word abides forever. You may be seated. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is like silver, refined in a furnace seven times. And by this word, we are tested. And so, Lord, search us, try us, find out anything unclean in us, and lead us in your everlasting paths. In Christ's name, amen. Anyone been to a mattress store recently? It used to be there was basically only three choices, like Goldilocks, when she visited the house of the three bears, firm, medium, and extra soft. But now there are reclining mattresses, air conditioned mattresses, there's even beds that come in with massagers. Now why am I opening with this? Is it because I have a mattress sales gig on the side? No, but it's simply to point out that many in our culture seek a good night's sleep. Some are willing to pay even thousands to obtain it because we understand it is so vital to our health and well-being. I was even reading of a neurological study of how the brain mends itself back together while one is sleeping. Now here's a question. Does scripture speak to the matter of sleep? Remember, God's word gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness in every aspect of our lives, in our going out and in our lying down. The Bible gives to us, and I think this psalm particularly gives to us what we might Consider to be a theology of sleep. David writes a bedtime psalm. Perhaps we can render this a kind of inspired lullaby as we go to rest, go to sleep. It picks up the thought from Psalm 3, verse 5. I lay down and slept. I woke again. For the Lord sustain me. Now, this is in the environment and in the context of a battlefield. You can hear all the noise of warfare around, and yet, what is David doing there? He's sleeping in peace and in security. Now, I want to be clear that from the outset, Christian believers, for various reasons, may have difficulty sleeping in various seasons of life. Those of you with newborn children might understand this. Sleeplessness is not necessarily a symptom of sin or disobedience. We can consider the apostle Paul as he writes of the adversities he's endured in 2 Corinthians and he references beatings Imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights. And those sleepless nights are not traced directly, as far as we know, to any failure or lack of piety on his part. But at the same time, I do want to underscore that, according to Scripture, sleep is a gift that God gives to his image-bearers, and especially to his children. Psalm 127 is noteworthy here. In the midst of a city that never sleeps, the city of man, the city of restlessness, Psalm 127.2 says, It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for notice what the Lord does. He gives his beloved sleep. So with that, I want to turn back to Psalm 4 and take this psalm as we reflect on it this evening in three points. Firstly, security in sleep. Secondly, silence in sleep. And finally, hope in sleep. Firstly, then, security in sleep. Verse 1 begins with addressing the Lord. And notice how David approaches him when he says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. David addresses God not only for who the Lord is in himself, but also understanding the relationship that he sustains in covenants with God. God is his righteousness. This is the promise, isn't it, of knowing God and his promise of grace to us, that we can say he is not only righteous, but our righteousness, a righteousness to be possessed, a righteousness to be owned for ourselves. David, in verse 1, is expressing his assurance of being in a right standing before God. My standing before God, what is it? By faith in Christ, it is one of acceptance. It is one of welcome. In the story of the prodigal son, as the lost son comes back home, he sees the father running out to him with open arms to embrace his son. God comes to us and favors us. Young people, what is the doctrine called? That we have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. That's right, justification. The Apostle Paul may have been the one to unpack this doctrine at the greatest length and most detail, and yet he is by no means the first one to speak of it. The Psalms in many occasions speak of the righteousness that is by faith. Here is one here in Psalm 4. You know the question that's asked sometimes, how does that person sleep at night? And it usually is in the context of if someone has done a heinous, despicable thing and seemingly gotten away with it, committed great Sexual immorality or theft or murder. It's instructive, I think, that even unbelievers connect a clear conscience with sleep. In Shakespeare's Macbeth, after Macbeth has murdered Duncan, methoughts I heard a voice cry, sleep no more. Macbeth does murder sleep the innocent sleep, sleep that knits the raveled leave of care, balm of hurt minds, great nature's second course. Macbeth understands that because he has committed evil, this crime, he has forfeited the right to rest, the right to sleep. Macbeth does murder sleep, the innocent sleep, if you run headlong away from God against his will, don't be surprised that what is going to stalk you, what is going to pursue you, is agitation and alarm and restlessness. Thus knowing your own sinfulness and guilt How can you sleep? How can you find sure rest? Not in running from God or hiding from him, but doing what David does here. Going toward the Lord, pleading his covenant love and mercy. Notice the confidence David has in verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly, For himself, the Lord hears when I call to him. He knows, as the book of Exodus tells us, the Lord makes a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not. And in this, the Lord grants the gift, verse 1, of relief in distress graciousness in hearing his prayers. David does not go to his fellow man, to his neighbor. Do you remember in the Gospel of John why Jesus does not entrust himself to man? He knows what's in man. He knows the fickleness of the heart of man that one day they're all smiles and applause and kudos but all of a sudden they can turn on a dime and accuse and be angry. Notice verse 2. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? He's received the arrow shots, the sword thrusts of the insults and reproach of his neighbors, of the wicked who treat him with this malice and contempt. But here's the thing. David knows his reputation does not depend on what others think of him. It is not in the court of public opinion That his reputation is settled. Where's David's security? It's in knowing how God sees him. How God esteems him and views him. When you consider the grace of justification, consider it this way. Before the judgment seat of God, your name is in the clear. Your reputation, your standing before Christ, is one without any blame or blemish. How does God reckon you? How does God regard you? Without any guilt to your account. Is that not beautiful to you? Does that not thrill you through and through. What has God done for you in Christ? The Bible tells us you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Does this knowledge and assurance help you sleep at night? It ought to. Because though your own work might be left unfinished, the projects that you have undertaken, the studies in which you are engaged, all those things are a work in progress. But God's work of atoning for your sins, of providing that clothing of righteousness, the robes of splendor for you, of glory, God's work of reconciling you to Himself and securing peace for you, that work is complete. That work is finished. And you can rest in that, you can go to sleep with that confidence. I love what the Heidelberg Catechism says in relationship to this. Question 60. How are you righteous before God? Answer, only by true faith in Jesus Christ, even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil. Nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned, nor been a sinner, and as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. That is good news. Security in sleep, but secondly, silence in sleep. Now verse 4 might jump out at us as kind of jarring. And surprising. David goes from repose in the Lord, confidence in the Lord, but now he turns to us as readers and tells us, be angry or be perturbed. Now, how can you do this? Well, on the psychological level, it seems there is something very honest about verse 4. Because what often happens when you put your head on that pillow at night? Feelings of being disturbed, or perhaps even anger, can well up from within as you contemplate and remember how you have been treated by others. David himself seems to be the object of invective and scorn, from verse 2, as they turn David's honor into shame. And as he hears those cutting words and perhaps plays them over in his mind, what is the temptation? It is to begin to nurse a grudge and to let those words that have been spoken against him then turn to bitterness inside of him. How dare they? What grounds do they have to say such things and to do me wrong? If he takes the next step in the flesh, the knee-jerk reaction, what would it be? it would be then and there on his bed to start plotting how to get even, how to get my pound of flesh. How do I get back at those who have maligned me? But you know what verse 4 is? It's partly David's taking himself in hand and reasoning with himself. Hey, you might have reason to be angry, but don't let that translate into vindictiveness and personal vengeance. For that would be sin. And that would be displeasing to God. The apostle quotes this verse in Ephesians 4. It should be easy for us to remember. Ephesians 4, Psalm 4. And we read this a bit earlier. Ephesians 4, in the context of putting on the new man, being part of the new body governed by the head, Jesus Christ. Paul says, Let each one speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. And then the apostle gives an inspired commentary on this when he says, Do not let the Son go down on your anger. In other words, smooth out whatever tensions and rifts that have formed between yourself and your neighbor. Because if the seed of resentment is planted in the night and is allowed to grow during the night in your sleep, you wake up in an even more disconcerted and angry state. Remember, Ephesians 4 is about living at peace with one another, maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And what is one of the great enemies of peace but sinful Anger, the anger of man, which James tells us does not produce the righteousness of God. Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Just how destructive anger can be. We can point to Absalom. He wants an audience with his father, King David. And for a time, David denies him this access and this welcome. So what does Absalom do? He burns Joab's field of barley and sets it on fire because of his own impatience. What I want, I want to have right now, on my terms. And if I don't get it, I will torch everything else. Paul's interpretation of Psalm 4 in Ephesians is the opposite of... He's teaching concerning how the anger that leads to personal vengeance is the opposite of the peace that should reign in the body of Christ. I was talking to a mature Christian father in the faith, and asked him what the secret to a long and happy marriage was. And he told me very simply, Do not go to bed angry with your spouse. Resolve any conflict before you sleep. And certainly don't start a fight right before bedtime. Children, this applies to you as well. If there's something that's bothering you, if you need to confess something that you have done, do so hastily, do so sooner rather than later. If you need to be reconciled to a brother or sister in the body of Christ, How long should you wait? Don't wait until the sun goes down. Do so without any procrastination. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus teaches? You're going, offering your sacrifice, remembering that your brother has something against you. Leave your animal right there, bleeding on the side of the road. What's more important? Giving the sacrifice, Jesus says, go be reconciled. First, be reconciled to your brother. Now back to Psalm 4. The second half of verse 4 tells us what is to replace feelings of anger, sinful anger, Instead of stewing so as to come to blows the next day, what does he say? Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. It's probably not hugely controversial for me to suggest that we don't live in a very contemplative society. Here! Get a load of this. Go do this. Did you hear about this? But stopping, to mull things over, to cogitate, to meditate. This is what we're called to. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent a proper time for self-examination in light of God's word. Each day, there is a time for us to be circumspect and to consider our lives in your own hearts, on your beds, in silence. It's interesting, Selah, right there at the end of that verse. Some scholars suggest this is a musical notation, which indicates a breath or a pause. And that's very much consistent with the teaching of verse 4. My friend was lamenting to another colleague, I've really had a rough go of it in terms of getting... A good night's sleep. My pastor friend told my other friend, don't waste your hours of sleeplessness. Pray. Redeem the time. When you're done praying, pray some more. Here is a time in which we ought to pray, to petition the Lord to seek the face of God, and to remember that even there God will hear the cries of our hearts and give us peace and give us relief. Psalm 63, my soul will be satisfied as with rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. There's security in sleep. There's silence in sleep. But finally, hope in sleep. What does David discover as he ponders and prays on his bed? That it's proper for him to offer right sacrifices to put his trust in the Lord, verse 5. And then verse 6, there are many who say, Who will show us some good? Where is goodness, life, wisdom to be found? And then notice what he says. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than when their grain and wine abound. The height of worldly happiness is found at festival time, when the meat is on the rotisserie and the wine jugs are full to the brim and they're dancing and playing games by the campfire. But for those who live without hope and without God in this world, that's basically it, isn't it? Let's eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. But David tells us we have a joy that far surpasses the joy of those in the world. You have put more joy in my heart than when there are grain and wine abound. Solid joys, lasting pleasures, none but Zion's children know. What is this joy? Joy of sins forgiven. Joy of no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Joy of friendship with God, joy of fellowship with the saints. I wonder if David in his nighttime meditations had turned over in his mind the ironic blessing and let himself bathe in this. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. He soaked himself in that, marinated in that reality. As Christians, we have this joy, as Peter tells us, that joy inexpressible, ineffable, filled with glory, as we wait the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You know, I believe this psalm should be precious to us and treasured by us, not only in our nightly, daily sleep, but ultimately for the final sleep. Indeed, we can say and sing this prayer in death psalm 133 sleeping the sleep of death daniel 12:2 many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake hear this those in Christ do not experience death in the form of curse and judgment outside of Christ, this death is the judgment most to be dreaded, frightful beyond contemplation, the second death, as John writes in Revelation. But in Christ, death is not deadly. The larger catechism, question 85, asks, Death, being the wages of sin, why are not the righteous delivered from death, seeing all their sins, are forgiven in Christ? Good question. Here's the answer. The righteous shall be delivered from death itself at the last day, and even in death are delivered from the sting and curse of it, so that although they die, yet it is out of God's love to free them perfectly from sin and misery and to make them capable of further communion with Christ in glory which they then enter upon. Death is passing through the threshold, the open door into the blessedness of God's presence. In sleep, in this sleep, you will open your eyes and you will see the light, the, the face of the Lord Jesus himself. You know, Jesus, when he went to Lazarus and to the tomb of his friends, he said that Lazarus had fallen asleep, that he went to awaken him. Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was taking rest and sleep. On that day, everyone is holding a funeral. But Jesus comes in his glory to spoil that funeral. He has the power to speak the word, to rouse and raise his friend, and to say, Lazarus, come out, come forth. And his voice has the power to pierce through the grave so that the dead will live. And so we read from 1 Thessalonians 4 For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we awake, or are asleep, we might live with him. Is this the hope you have? May it be so through Christ who is in you, the hope of glory. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would write your word on our hearts and minds, as those who have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of your Son. In his name we pray, amen.